Hello, and welcome to Farmers Capital Conversations. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. This podcast aims to expand your social, intellectual, and economic capital. Investing on and off the farm is hard enough. Here, we will provide insightful stories and resources to help out. Full transparency, this is our shameless way for you to like us and hopes you partner with us down the road. Lastly, there are no ads here. All I ask is you enjoy and share if you find value. Now, on to the episode. The fact remains that if somebody is going to service their community the right way in that we're going to stick true, true to ourselves and what we know and what we care about and not use that as leverage against our com- our customers and that we're doing this and you have now as a customer have to believe in this also. It's like, man, just make the food, just grow great food for your people. And you don't have to, kind of like me, you don't have to service everybody, but you do have to service people that are going to appreciate you as a farmer, appreciate you as a small business person, appreciate you as an employer and as a human, and just be kind. And if we're just going to work on that and work on lifting up the other farmers around us, and there's no sense of going to war with another vendor at the market. Welcome back. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. Today, we are joined by Nick Burton, who brings over 27 years of experience in the green industry, which we'll get into later, including landscape management, owning a retail nursery, and operating a hydroponic farm. Throughout his career, he has specialized in farm-to-table meal delivery, catering, and food truck sales. He currently serves as the CMO for Bootstrap Farmers. Nick Burton, excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Casey. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. You have some good stuff out there. I am very excited to get into, A, your definition of the green industry, bootstrap farmers, what you do for them, and how farmers can you know, really just understand more about what bootstrap farmers does and how they can benefit from service and products that you guys sell. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's start with the green industry because I, I know that's on the bio and, and it throws a little bit of people, but basically I came to where I'm at now through the ornamental landscape side of things. So I put myself through college uh, working for a guy doing landscaping. And then uh, I went through the trades, went through Home Depot and Lowe's and that kind of thing, did some mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, handyman type of work, but got back. I missed mowing yards and doing maintenance and stuff. So I kind of got back into that, worked my way up to buying a retail nursery or starting my own retail nursery and the hydroponic farm and all the, uh, the things that went in with that all came basically through the ornamental and landscape side of things. So uh, I've got way more time in the industry through that side than not. Okay. Bet you have some pretty good customer stories working those. Yeah. It's um, going, going to wholesalers is, is a lot of fun because you just get to, it's just like farmers in that you go to gigantic places and you go to small places and they all have their, their quirks and their features and their specialities. So it's a, when I started coming over to farming, it was very familiar. Mm-hmm. So that's how you, so when we were talking before we hit record, kind of you think of the green industry as all things green. You, you have experience retail green, but now you help farmers. Obviously a lot of their stuff is green. Right. Do you have anything in like green tech? Not, I, um, I've never been like super into tech anything like like it's it's a miracle that the computer is working right now you know what i mean so it's yeah, um, yeah. which it funny enough you know having the studio and being the you know part of the media team for bootstrap farmer it's all i do nowadays but no i was i was very non-tech both in the farming and and everything i did with the retail nursery and all that kind of stuff so 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we adopted some early tech when it came to the sales side for my customers and, and clients, but that was, uh, was just more intuition than, than wanting to, I guess, because I was trying to meet them where they wanted, wanted to be serviced through. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, so green industry, you're kind of connecting the dots and you didn't start up growing up on a farm or, you know, working that industry, but you kind of started where you said before retail nurseries, things like that. So how did, how did you transition into bootstrap farmers and being their CMO? So I'll try to make this as short of a story as possible, even though it, it covers several years. Uh, when, when we opened up the retail nursery, I decided just on a lark to buy a small hydroponic system just for the size on the side of things for a little novelty. Well, keep in mind that we were also had this landscaping company. And so we serviced a lot of restaurants and as, as people were asking, you know, what was going on? Cause I was very hands-on with the, with the uh, service clients, you know, well, we're doing this thing, we're going to grow some herbs and just for fun or whatnot. But the, the nursery kind of specialized in vegetable growing kind of thing. And so when we built out the nursery, we also like things escalated real quick. We bought a, a greenhouse for tropical ornamentals, which we quickly changed that over to Dutch bucket tomato uh, production. Uh, we went from a 50 hole hydroponic system to like a 2400 indoor full blown grow room of hydroponic production. And then another 30 by 96 uh, hoop house at the time for uh specialty crops, uh, seasonal crops, you know, a, a lot of herb production. And so I was a waiter for a long time. I've always been a big foodie. I, I cook all the meals at the house all the time kind of thing. And so I knew that the location of the nursery was not going to be prohibited to, or it wasn't going to allow for people to come out for like their groceries kind of thing. It wasn't going to be on the way. It didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I really believe in building a market before you build a thing. So all at the same time, again, I'm skipping ahead a lot just to, to get to the point. But uh, I asked just a lot of people, I was friends with a lot of realtors, a lot of doctors, a lot of lawyers, that kind of thing, because the, the maintenance side of things only dealt with like high end, like a state kind of, you know, that that part of the industry is who we're serving. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, the people would ask would, would say the same thing. There's nothing healthy to eat in Paris. You know, we're, we're so busy. We don't have time to meal prep. We don't have time to do this or go out. And so I knew that it was within my capabilities to make salads uh, and deliver them to their offices. I mean, they also told me the same thing. We want this particular thing. And through some playing around, we, we developed a program in which we did sales of salads, like a big salad that was taken to their office with utensils water, the whole, everything they would need for at least two really good meals, sometimes one, but most of the time it was, they could knew they could get a couple of meals out of it. So the interesting thing about that is building not only the retail nursery, then building the farm, but adding a, a full commercial kitchen onto that build at the same time, which a lot of people think that there's a huge investment in that. And, and it really isn't because I went to the people that had the answers in that I went to the local health department. I said, look, I need to build a commercial kitchen for this reason. What do I need? They printed me out basically a checklist. You have to have these items. Uh, because we were a raw kitchen, we weren't cooking anything at that time in the beginning. Uh, we we didn't have to have vinegar hoods because we didn't have, have fryers. We didn't have mm-hmm. to have fire suppression because we weren't cooking anything. So I was able to, by talking to the people that 
we're eventually going to sign off. Hey, what about this? Can we get an exception? Can we get an exemption? Uh, you know, and it went fairly smooth because we were only doing one item and basically building salads on a uh, assembly line type of situation. The the building itself was like twelve by fourteen. It was super small. Oh uh, wow! And it worked. It worked in a circle in that. Uh, we had a sink attached to the back to like hose off our carrots and root crops and stuff like that to get the bulk of the dirt off. And then as we came in, a, th- a three uh, bay sink going into a two bay sink just for washing the uh, lettuce in the corner or whatever we had to wash in the corner. We had all of our utensils and then we had two stainless steel tables that as we would harvest, we would then julienne or cut up or grate or whatever we had to do to the vegetables, put them in. Cambros, which if you're from the the uh, restaurant side of things, you know, is those big clear prep tubs. So we did basically gotcha. all of our mise en place that day, like a like a line cook would. Then we would harvest the lettuce, wash it, and go down the line. And then refrigeration was all on on the right hand side. And so what that gave both me and the employees is is we came in on Mondays and we made the this is what we have, this is what we're going to do. Uh, we would send out an email and say, hey, this is the salad of the week. I would say that on average throughout the year out of 52 weeks, we wouldn't deliver two. So that was 50 weeks. I'm going real fast here. But there was probably 36 different salads throughout the year that people got. So they didn't get bored with it. Wow. And so we came in on Monday. We did the bulk of the harvest. Tuesday was the lettuce harvest. And then actually making of the salads, making of the dressings, because we made all of our sauces and everything from scratch. And so once that was set, Wednesday morning, everything, we came in, put them in the fridge. We had our list that never changed because it was all subscription and we went out and delivered. And then that afternoon we would uh, charge their card on file. And then that gave us Thursday and Friday to do the exact same thing again, little tweak, take it to the farmer's market. So my wife and I worked this farmer's market, which means my employees enjoyed a five day Monday through Friday work week. Uh, the Wednesday bit of the salad club was really interesting in that Monday people were having left leftovers from the weekend. Sometimes that trails into Tuesday. Wednesday's like the sweet spot because nothing's going on. And then Thursday and Friday is when a lot of offices, and, and again, I was doing higher end offices. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when they have people come in or they go out to dinner or they have lunch dates on Thursday and Friday. So Wednesday was perfect for us on the farm. It was perfect for the, the staff. It was perfect for the clients. We had a big spike of income right in the middle of the week. And then we went to the farmer's market and just basically did it again. That's as short as I can make that story. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's a great story. I mean, I I love that you listened to what the customer wanted and didn't try to make anything that they didn't really ask for. So we want salads, we want it fresh and we want it from you guys and we don't have the time for it. And you connected all the pieces. And you have to you have to think about things in that I wasn't trying to service the whole community. I already had the in through my other companies that these people have known me for years. They knew that I did great work and that they didn't know I also could cook and grow and all this other stuff, which I didn't either, you know, at the time of doing it. And and there's a big difference between cooking for two or three people at home versus cooking for a hundred to hundred and fifty people a week. In mass, it's it's a different just a few differences, you know, just like maybe one or two. And and you'd be surprised how little of ingredients you need. You don't need that much to make a big impact if you if you do it right. Mm -hmm. We'll have another podcast about the whole culinary side of things, but 
but no, well, I fully that... agree with that though. I mean, I think you can make some dishes with only five and ing- five clean ingredients, make it much better than something with 10. Okay. Like For sure. For sure. And, you know, and it's, you don't need a lot to garnish or to make a big impact of aroma, you know, with some uh, fresh cut, cut herbs, but skipping all those details, you know, I did know it was going to require a little bit of work. So I, I knew that we weren't going to launch this program just saying, Hey, next week we're going to have this thing. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to take four salads out. And so we announced a month before and said, Hey, victory lunch club is what we called it. This is coming. Mm. I, I believe it was August 1st of golly, 20, 2014, 2015. I, I lose track, you know, but, um, that gave us a month to market this thing, talk to who we needed to talk to, enroll the early adopters into, uh, you know, talking to their office mates. Hey, I'm going to get this thing. I signed up for this club. And there was a lot of, uh, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it kind of thing. And I, I didn't limit ourselves to, we're going to go make these deliveries. We got to have a minimum order. Cause I knew if I just did one, we would get multiple. So that, that proved to be true. And so we targeted our marketing, you know, through at the time, you know, back in the day, Facebook and, and a lot of word of mouth based off of um, the reputation that we had with the other company. And then I did, I did know that there was going to be some convincing of people. And my favorite story from that time was we had a lady that said, well, I don't know if I could eat a salad a week. And I, just, I don't know where it came from, but I said, look, there's 21 meals in the week. I'm just asking you to eat soup, something super healthy and fresh and local just one time out of the whole week got it. And she was, she was signed up week one and she was there with us until bootstrap came along, snatched me out of here. I I like that story because you have to put it in perspective and Hey, it's kind of crazy that, well, I guess if you're someone who doesn't really eat a lot of salads, it's like, why would I even eat a salad? I've been doing fine the rest of my life. Well, in in Paris in particular, so Paris is like 25,000. There's a lot of chain restaurants, uh, uh, odd amount of mm-hmm. fast food but the local restaurants that we do have were so uh stripped of true hospitality workers i'm talking about the wait staff front of house that understands what it means to to have hospitality built into what you do and we brought such a level of that to the food club that uh it it really did serve a need uh, that people were were missing in paris that we're driving to dallas for mm-hmm mm-hmm that's really cool, Nick. So what what does that business currently look like today? I know it's outside of Bootstrap Farmer. Is that correct? Well, it's uh, when Bootstrap Farmer came along, I, I remember the first email I got from them and basically, hey, you know, we're doing this thing. This was the tail end of year two that they had. And I was like, this is crazy, man. I got like 16 employees and we got all this stuff. I got three companies going on. I, I'm not going to, I don't know how to work for anybody at this point. You know, I hadn't worked for anybody else got like 16, 18 years at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, basically six months later, you know, made the decision because I believed in what they were doing so much that I was like, and I was tired, man. I mean, you got to keep in mind that this was 22 years in at this point and the, the farm had been in operation five or six years and I was, I was turning 40 and my kid was, uh, you know, going through or fixing to go through junior high and, and I was ready for a change and, uh, I sold the landscape company back to my, my partner that I'd, I'd had forever. Uh, he ran that for a couple of years, but, uh, oddly enough, my farm location and, and all of those people that worked for us back then now run the warehouse and do the distri- distribution for bootstrap farmers. So we totally kept it in house and we just, 
we just closed that chapter for all of us locally. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of freedom in, in living in a town and not relying on that town to, to make your income. So fair enough. So it sounds like you kind of shut down the, yeah, everything salad business. Well, I continued to run it. I think I came to bootstrap in March of 2018 and I, I, I continued this season. I did one last season at the farmer's market. I, I can't remember, man. I'm sorry. I can't no, remember it's if, okay. I, if I, I mean, if I'm I pretty upset right now, but it's I, okay. I don't, I don't think I, I, <laughs> I kept the lunch club up much past when I came on just cause uh, I was employee number one. It was third year in business. We were growing exponentially. And just like, I, I, I slowly started taking, you know, things down and I, I moved the landscape company over pretty quick, shut down the lunch club and finished out that year at the market. Gotcha. So 2018. So you, you've been out of that salad business for, yeah, for a few years and yeah. then transitioned into, into bootstrap farmer. So what, what are the synergies that you saw between, you know, the value proposition that you brought given your experience and really a lot of different touch points within this business supply chain and then into, into a bootstrap farmer. Originally the, the way bootstrap even found me was we had such a great couple of first years that uh, the company I bought all the farming equipment from asked me to come like be, do a customer testimonial and and that turned into hey can you also div, give a talk about marketing because they saw what we did with the lunch club and, and that that turned into a three-year stint going up to the northeast traveling and, and basically teaching a third of this class for this other company way back in the day which led to hey can you come to this conference and speak and this that and the other and one summer, man, I just, I think my wife was gone for a couple of days and I just kind of went haywire and had this idea uh, for what became state of the soil for a couple of years. And that this was way before anybody even was doing anything like this. It was pre-pandemic, pre-Zoom, pre-everything. And that I thought it would be a good idea because I'd gone to these conferences and taught the school that I, I knew that farmers needed help with their marketing. And I just took a loan got an investor and bought cameras for the first time, hired a production company, be like, Hey, come teach me how to run these cameras. And for about three months, I traveled all over the United States. Again, I, I mentioned, I like to do things in person uh, before we started recording, but I went around to all these different farms and, and leaders within the industry at the time and, and basically recorded, I wanted 18, 20 webinars for lack of better, anything on location and put that out at the first of the year, I think in 2016. And that media is how Bootstrap Farmer found me. We actually met one of the owners at a conference and he saw that I knew everybody and had these videos and did this thing. And you know, there it's like the unlikely story. There's no way anybody should have ever heard of me ever. I mean, <laughs> 10, 10 years ago, I was pushing a lawnmower, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and so that that's how they found me. And I had to learn all this stuff all the camera, all the audio, all of this, all of that that we talked about on the fly. <laughs> Didn't know what we were doing. Like if I, I can't even imagine going back and watching those videos right now, they're going to be terrible. You know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not much of an on-screen personality anyway. I've, I've, I've done 900 interviews at this point, but every time the camera goes on, I'm like, what am I doing here, man? So yeah, it's, I uh, feel the same way you, right before never, I hit record. You never get over that. But through all that, you know, through, through all the years up to that point and through all the years after and surrounding myself with the just phenomenal team that we got the bootstrap farmer and the, the 
the in-industry friends that we have, and basically that's the only people I hang out with these days, you know, you learn so much and you get exposed to so much and you, you go to all these different farms all over the United States. And you just, you get to see so many things and work with so many awesome people doing the best mm-hmm. stuff. So I don't know if we ever answered your that's, original question. That's a but cool that transition. We're at. No, it's definitely, definitely. So you started this marketing company and you went out to, in person, did these 18, 20 webinars for farmers and was the the proposition there to just help them get their word out on what they're doing at their farms. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't want to be a consultant. I didn't want to be a online guru or anything like that. I just, I felt the need to, I had such a great couple of years. I was having so much fun. I was meeting so many interesting people and I was super fortunate to be in a position where I, I could go do this state of the soil thing that didn't make any sense that everybody thought was nuts, but it, in the process, I just, I kind of found that, you know, I, I don't want to teach people how to grow. I was a hydro grower, grower you know what I mean? I didn't mm-hmm. want to teach people how to grow in the soil. I never wanted to think about all the different uh, growing zones and crop selections. I mean, I could talk about it all you want, but I never wanted to be like, hey, I'm an expert doing this because I wasn't. What mm-hmm. I did was the Victory Lunch Club, taking added value foods to the farmer's market, selling that later on in the years through a food truck and a mocktail program and brunches and on-farm pop-up pop-up events and things like that. And that's what I, that's what I talked about. But I also wanted to give the perspective of some of these friends that I'd met along the way and people that uh, have inspired me over the years. So it was, I never wanted to be a consultant. I just wanted to give back. And that was, that was how I knew to do it. Mm-hmm. So, and probably also out of curiosity, you I know, I, I mentioned a, a minute ago that it's it's very freeing to live in a small town and, and have a very, it's cheap to live here, right? But I'm two hours from Dallas. I can be on a plane and then six hours be on either coast. There's, there's a freedom in just exploring things outside of your comfort zone. I mean, to, to buy cameras for the first time and not know anything about it and then just get on a plane and go, I hope this works. Uh, you know, some of them were awful. Some of them were great. I was very fortunate. You know, my very first interview, you know, the guy was uh, just gold and, and really, you know, was kind to me and letting me come to his farm. And uh, he brought up a lot of experience. We met uh, through speaking uh, together multiple times. So there was a, a, a familiar air about it that all the people I went to, you know, there, there was a relationship already. So all of those people made me look super good. Just like all the people that bootstrap make it look like all this is effortless, but there's a ton of work on the back end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us about bootstrap farmer a little bit, Nick. Yeah, man. So bootstrap farmer started out, uh, uh with, uh, the heavy duty seed trays. That's how we're, I think best known for, and we continue to push not only propagation trays and microgreen trays, uh, is, is a big heavy hitter for us, but now we're specializing in, in pots and, and all kinds of things where all of our plastic is made in the States at this point. Um, you know, that was, that was a big transition that we did, uh, two, three years ago. And then I knew from working in the hoop houses, which is, you know, one of the things we're here to talk about is there had to be a better way to do hoop houses in that every other manufacturer out there at the time, you know, you had to go buy your baseboards. You go had to figure out the end wall on your own. You had to figure out doors on your own. And then shipping was on top of that. And, you know, a lot of the steel is imported 
I wanted US-based steel. I wanted local fabrication. A, I wanted to be there as the stuff was getting made, at least in the initial test phases, and then be able to go and see this stuff. I, I told you I have to go to Dallas, you know, quite often. That's to go visit these vendors and not only push new product development, but to see how things are going and, and work through tweaks. I mean, I, I don't know how many hoop houses we have, have at this point, but there's there's always tweaks to be made. There's always updates to, to be done. There's always, uh, hey, we're not going to have you know, this steel for another couple of months, you know, what do we do, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, we're very, very hands-on. And so throughout bringing, you know, our injection molding back to the States, thermoforming at another place, uh, you know, aluminum extrusion is, you know, within 90 miles of us or hundred miles of us. The fabrication of the hoop houses is very, very close to us. These, this evolution of bootstrap of not only, having these long-term assets and investments of equipment, but the continued resources that we're putting out. It's, it's so much after the sales for us and watching these farmers grow, you know, they, they're not here supporting us because they're having to replace these items. It's because their business is growing and I'm not taking any of the credit for the resources that we put out and like that helped change their business. But it's the conversations I have with, uh, a lot of these friends that I've made over the years that I, I have insights into how these farms are growing and what they're doing right and where they stumbled. Let's tell those stories. Let's help, you know, farmers really figure out and narrow down some of those pinch points. Let, let's, let's invest in the equipment once. Let's know that it's right and that's always going to be there and their service after the sale and let them focus on their business. So that's it's about as clean as I can wrap that up. Well, for someone who doesn't know anything about hoop houses, can you explain what that is and how it relays into the C trays that Bootstrap Farmer also provides? Yeah, let, let's start a little bit higher level in that there's greenhouses and then there's okay. hoop houses and then there's uh, all kinds of various names, polytunnels, you know, then there's caterpillar tunnels and then there's low tunnels. So there's all kinds of structures to kind of cover your crops. I want you to think about a greenhouse in that there's more automation. There's electric fans, there's mm -hmm. probably some grow lights, there may be some CO2 injection. A lot of the big greenhouses you see, like in feel-good commercials from big companies or something like that, are uh, single crop, like tomatoes or lettuce or uh, 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 poinsettias is one of the largest greenhouse crops that there is. Uh, and, and then we can take ornamentals and wrap about that all day if you want. But from a farming perspective, Greenhouses just have a lot more automation, a lot more uh, control, whether that's irrigation or fertilizer injection that's built into the structure. And the bigger ones are one-off, structural engineered, CAD-drawed, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Our greenhouses are also CAD-drawed and have been looked at by structural engineers, but it's it should be thought of as just a cover to extend the season. So... I'm going to use Texas as an, as an example because that's where I'm at. You know, we can start planting in a hoop house sometimes as early as uh, January for leafy crops okay. uh, that we're going to take to market in, in the first farmer's market generally around April. But we can also get our vining crops into the ground much sooner because they're protected. And that draw of heat is heating up the ground. It's keeping the wind off. It's keeping the frost off. One of the big things that people look over is that as it rains, it's not flooding. 
your crops. And so you're controlling the irrigation at the point of, hey, here's the plant. There's not too much water. It's, it's the perfect amount and the, it, the roots are warmer. You can do things like adding a low tunnel or floss, frost blanket or mulch or something to further insulate those roots. But if you think about putting a tomato, cucumber, eggplant, pepper, those are your four main vining crops inside of a hoop house, you're going to be uh, on, on the road to getting any of those crops to market much, much faster, sometimes as much as two months before your field grown, uh, you know, local farmers that's within your network. And so you're going to market faster. You're, you're going to have more produce. It's going to be a better quality. It's probably going to have less pest pressure. Not only to have it early, but you're going to extend that season into later markets or what a lot of people are doing now is having a winter market, shorter hours or something like that. But instead of, hey, we're going to make our income between May and September on average, now we can go from February to October or sometimes year round, depending on the crop. So it's it's a, it's more control over the plants. And that that's what we do is we provide a super basic structure that's not too terrible to get into from a price uh, perspective. There's all kinds of sizes, all kinds of options, and you can really customize these things to your crop, your location, your budget, your needs, your size. There, there's all these things to take into consideration. And so one of the things Bootstrap prides itself is, is we have a dedicated tech line that people can walk you through all these options. You know, there's there's so much work that goes into the website to, to steer you to where you're not making bad decisions. Because if you don't need a second layer of, mm. of, of your hoop house, you know, for extra insulation, man, we're not, we're going to talk you out of it. Like there's, I can't tell you how much. What is the talk. right thing to do? Yeah. Yeah. And, and if, if you're not going to grow in the winter and you're not going to have any crops in there, why are you going to insulate it? Why are you going to spend the money to heat it? You know, why just, you know, furlough that thing, let it rest, you know, maybe plant a cover crop or something in there. And then, uh, you know, don't spend the labor, don't spend the heat, don't spend the extra infrastructure up front costs. Let, let's maybe get you a better shade cloth or let's maybe get you some frost blanket or something else. Or hey, save your money because you're going to need it for all the other million things that you're going to need when you first start a farm. So, And then once that is there and built, and you have to understand that there's so many different personality types of people out there that they're, they're going to buy a hoop house for XYZ reason and they're going to... Uh, be highly skilled or not skilled at all or fall somewhere in the middle. Some people are kind of easygoing and, hey, I mean, we're just going to get this stuff up and some people are going to worry about every nut and bolt. And so we have to tailor the not only the website, but the instruction manual and the videos and then customer service and then the tech line to help people through all these different emotions from going, hey, I'm going to start a farm. There's a lot of pressure there. I don't know what to do. And now all of a sudden I'm building the biggest structure I've ever done by myself. There's a lot of there's a lot of stress there. Plus, you know, there's there's a, a financial element. We want people to feel super secure in what they're buying and the service after the fact. Or, you know, and I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say every time we've ever sold one has been a home run. You know, there's there's times that just stuff happens, but ninety nine point nine percent it's it's great or very little hiccup. When you think about all of the things that have to go into delivering an all-inclusive, all-metal USA-based kit. It's our idea from paper to testing to the CAD drawings to finding and vetting a vendor that we can work with that 
is going to be a long-term situation to placing the POs, to uh, being there as the first ones are being made, accepting the prototype, you know, starting with how are we going to ship this thing? Let's talk to the logistics people. Are, are you going to be able to do this? What should we look out for? You know, shooting the media for the prototype, working through the uh, first round of instruction manuals and the how-to videos, to, yeah. selling, to selling the first one, prepping the warehouse and, you know, how are we going to pack this thing? And it goes out and just hoping we did all of everything right. You know, we're very fortunate that because of the team is so experienced, we, we crossed all the I's, dotted all the T's. I flipped that, that you possibly could in the beginning. <laughs> but knowing that the first hundred that went out, you know, we were going to be making tweaks along the way. Yeah. You know, my biggest mistake with that instruction manual is I made it look like a, bl a blueprint, made all the sense in the world to me. People hated it. They hated the blueprint. So we very quickly had to take the exact same information and just make it in a book form. So just things you learn along the way, but you know, now we've got two different profiles and multiple different sizes and new stuff coming out and here we are. Here we are. It's a pretty cool product. Nick, who is your ideal customer for, for hoop house? Can you describe that person for us? I, I wouldn't say my ideal one versus a typical one might be a little bit different and, and we do service all in that Sometimes it's it's a home gardener for ornamentals or for a little vegetable garden, just serving their family. We have churches that buy these things for uh, community gardens and food banks uh, type of situations. We have schools that buy it for institutional teaching use, education, research use. Uh, we'll have my favorite one, like my personal favorite is the market gardener that starts. They buy their first one and then they let the income from that first year greenhouse sales pay for the next one they pay for the next one it's it's that's my favorite thing is to see somebody grow with us over time order a new hoop house each year and each time get a little bigger and a little longer you know what i mean not from a financial yeah. aspect but i know that that farmer and that community is creating jobs it's creating better food it's serving their needs like that's my favorite you know and then we do have some some bigger scale ornamental growers that are growing shrubs for state contracts and you know, we'll have some hydro guys and some aquaponic guys, and, but you know, there's, there's uh, flower farmers. It, it really runs the gamut, but my favorite's the market gardener that that's creating that income for their local economy. I feel you there. Also providing good food. It seems like a lot of our food now, nowadays doesn't have the nutrition that it perhaps once did. Yeah. I mean, well, we could get in a rabbit hole about that, but <laughs> you know, the, I really feel that just, just like I did with my farm, if everybody is serving their community's needs, no matter what it is, no matter who lives there and what kind of crops they have to do, whether it's nutritional or not, people are not going to buy what they don't want. So they're not going to get the nutrition anyway, or they will anyway. So let's, let's, I always like to think with who are we serving through these crops first? And, and then they're inherently going to get all the benefits that probably aren't so much fun to talk about for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like you referenced earlier, you know, that lady who was not very interested in salads, but you said, Hey, what about just one meal out of the 23 meals that you eat in the week? Maybe just try one. And, and here's the thing, going back to that, I'm glad you brought it up is we never really made this about the local grown food or, or all the nutrition. This was a service for you. We only marketed to working mothers. Because they go home, they're doing the laundry, they're doing the homework, they're getting the kid, they're 
dad, you know, we're all dumb dads mm-hmm. doing dumb dad stuff. So they have all this extra pressure besides being skiing. So whatever, you know, you know skating, <laughs> jet skating for you, skating for me. We shouldn't be, neither one of us think we're doing this, but having, having the one time a week that somebody does something for you. Yeah. You're paying for it, but it's awesome. And it's for you. It's a service. Uh, I didn't really have to lean. They liked that it was local, but it wasn't the selling point. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of value, value ads that come with a, a service like that. Um, but back to the, the bootstraps farmer. So you guys have these hoop houses. What else do you guys offer? So now we're focused on, okay, we, we have the, the base structure. We have the hoop houses. You know, we, we have a lot of options for these. So again, no matter where the farmer is at in their progression of we're just starting out or we have big contracts, anything in between, you know, we'll have, okay, you're in the South. You, we got shade cloth. You need ventilation. We have ventilation. You need irrigation. You got irrigation. You're going to do those tomatoes. We got trellis kits. They're all, you know, thoroughly vetted out and tested either made by us or made by a partner that we can trust that we know we can get everything very similar to our seed trays in that the 1020, you know, regular propagation tray can hold all these different configurations. We, we shot a video. It's not out yet, but the concept of, of one tray for every farmer. And you could expand this to one hoop house for every farmer and that you're just starting out. Here's a small pack. Here's, here's the most basic. And as that plant grows, as your specialty grows, as you grow, not only the number of trays, but the different modular systems that can be grown in there, both soil or soilless, however you want to do it. We're, we're growing agnostic. We just want to be there to serve whoever needs service. And so mm-hmm. same thing with the greenhouses, you know, there's, there's new products on the arrival or on the horizon at the first of the year that you're going to see, uh, you know, the cleaning of some of these things or the, uh, working on the inside with different tools. Um, yeah, I'll, my whole life has lived around, you know, bringing these new products and, and I talk about and they space, they get spaced in my head, but, um, we've got like eight major projects coming all to head all at the same time at the first of the year, uh, coupled with a, a big warehouse reset. So to really make a bigger impact than what we're making now and that people that trust our trays and that trust our greenhouses, we can now, uh, my personal goal, and, and I know the goal of the company too, is let's, let's help some of these smaller farmers use some of the same practices that some of the bigger guys are doing. You know, you don't have to spend that much money to, to really change the efficiency of the farm or the output of a farm. If, if we're all growing and doing this together, maybe you come to us for a little help. Maybe you watch a video and get inspired. Maybe you learn a little something. Maybe you see something that somebody else is doing. Go, Hey, I can, I can do that here either in practice or crop selection or through the equipment that that's kind of where we're headed. It's just the next step. Some of it more specialty, some of it a little bit more general, but it's rounding out our products and then just kind of leveling everything up. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, Nick. I mean, just helping, helping the little guy implement big guy, for lack of a term, processes, procedures, tools, you know, to really get their, their farm going, you know, that marketer, market gardener profile, just that, I feel like that person adds so much value to their local economy. I, I, I agree. I've spent quite a bit of far- time on farms and, you know, it just seems like, there's a big consolidation happening in the industry, but I've been 
I need to do more research on this myself, but I feel like there's also more players trying to get in and be a more of a local local market gardener, whether it's through mushrooms or specialty crops or things right. like that, but um, smaller players in the industry. And I w- I'd like to see more of that happening for sure. So it's well, great that you guys are supporting, supporting those folks. And look, adjacent to everything we've talked about, there's so much to worry about right now. You know, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic. There's everything that you could worry about in food production and government and society and social media, you know, it's tearing us Mm -hmm. down or whatever, whatever anybody believes the fact remains that if somebody is going to service their community the right way in that we're going to stick true, true to ourselves and what we know and what we care about and not use that as leverage against our, our customers and that we're doing this and you have now as a customer have to believe in this also. It's like, man, just make the food, just grow great food, yeah. for your people and you don't have to kind of like me you don't have to service everybody but you do have to service people that are going to appreciate you as a farmer appreciate you as a small business person appreciate you as an employer and as a human and just be kind and if you'll if we're just going to work on that and work on lifting up the other farmers around us and like there's no sense of going to war with another vendor at the market right because then people can taste it in the air you can feel it you don't maybe see it or hear it but you can tell if there's some friction between two two farmers market vendors and it's toxic just like you never know who's walking up to your booth and if you're going to get on a rant about whatever xyz belief you have and just just talk about the food man you know i'm yeah focus on what matters and and what matters is is making sure that you're in business for the next year. I'm super interested in legacy farms and just making sure that we're growing. Not that you could not specialize and we're only going to serve this type of person, but mm-hmm. there's no sense in alienating yourself and being the person at the market that's going to push people away from your poor neighbors at the market, you know what I mean, by by getting on some rant. So yeah, you know, we, we try to stay pretty neutral at Bootstrap Farmer. And I, I know a lot of people, you know, do farming based off of, of different reasons. But, you know, we're just interested in people making it, you know, making a business, making better health decisions, uh, making better decisions for their clients that they're going to serve and whatever they want to do in their free time. Hey, we're all about that, too. But we're, we're just choosing to stay focused on the food production and the economy of it. I feel you. I love it, Nick. This has been very insightful conversation and really opened the doors into, you know, what Bootshot Farmer does, you know, who Nick Burton is, what your profile or what your background is. Been very interesting for me. Is there one thing that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, this this is I'm here representing a group of people that are so dedicated. You know, the the people that work here at Bootstrap Farmer, we have such support from the top down to make decisions for farmers as as we go about our 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 things that we have to do to be a part of bootstrap farmer everything that you see here is not stuff that i've put out it's i'm part of a team that does incredible work that does incredible research you know and um you know it's it's not the nick burton show it is for sure very much a team effort that spans not only media but customer service and the tech line and and like I said, the top down, we have, we have an amazing owner in this company and we all 
<laughs> we all just love them to death. We love each other. And that, that's the thing. And I think that trickles down to the amount of care that we put into customer service. You know, we do want to make sure that people are profitable. We do want to make sure that people get the right stuff and fully understand the product before you buy it, which with such a selection, it's hard to do, especially if somebody's just starting out and really has, hasn't honed down their own goal. There's a lot of mistakes to be made. And that's the group of people working at Bootstrap Farmer are, are here to help you through that process. No matter if it's day one or year 10, we're, we're here and we really do care. And it is a very much a team effort from a lot of good people. Appreciate that context, Nick. It's a, definitely very helpful. You see a lot of companies out there just focusing on the profit, not really focusing on the entire value chain, if you will, all the way from the the purpose of the company to the CEO even, and really doing the right thing for the customers and also doing the right thing after the point of sale, because that's what really matters. And that's where the impact can really be made. So Nick, I really appreciate your time today. Where can people get a hold of you to learn more about what you and Bootstrap Farmer does? Yeah. Uh, and nobody cares about me. Bootstrapfarmer.com across or Bootstrap Farmer <laughs> across all platforms. You know, if somebody has a question, Nick at bootstrapfarmer.com will get me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Send out a DM. Uh, I'm impossible to get on the phone, but yeah, Nick at bootstrapfarmer.com. But really we have, we have an extensive resource at, at Bootstrap Farmer. Um, and that's, there's plenty to listen to. If you want to see some of our long form content, we do have a podcast. That's just kind of my little pet baby that we deal with, but the U YouTube and, and all that is really based on farmer education and walking people through other people's farms and investments. Sounds good. We also put that in the show notes as usual. Mr. Burton, appreciate you. Appreciate Bootstrap Farmer. And thank you yeah. for your time today, sir. No, thanks for all your work and pushing the ball forward as well. Thank you for having us on. Absolutely. My pleasure to everyone. Hope you gained some little gold nuggets out of today's episode. Feel free to look for next week. We hope you do. See ya. See ya.